Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 32 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. Happy fall to all the listeners in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, it's a time when the pace of life slows down a bit, giving us all some time for more reflection. You know, I always embrace this time of year. I love September. October is beautiful. Um, And I embrace the change, even though I don't always look forward to winter cold and snow on the way. So as I shared with you in the last introduction to the last podcast, I took a big step, retiring from my career coaching business. You know, I'm still keeping a life and spiritual coaching practice, but I felt the call to um, commit more time to this podcast and my upcoming book publication and to the Everyday Sangha and to all the other initiatives that are cooking around in my brain that might spring from the podcast and the book. And entering this new phase for the podcast and book requires more energy from me and more support from you. I hope you will consider supporting my work with the podcast and associated groups, helping me to release more content more often and to explore maybe some other ways we can interact together. To become a sponsor of this podcast and set up a recurring or one-time donation, go to the Donate tab on my website, www.everyday-buddhism.com. And don't forget, if you would like to talk with me and others about these podcast subjects, and and the podcast episodes and any other everyday Buddhism type subjects, consider joining the Everyday Buddhism Sangha. The Sangha meets live via Zoom video conference every other week, and the details are on the main page of my website. So check it out. Now my book is getting closer and closer to publication. I finished one part of the editing phase and I'm currently doing the final formatting. It's getting exciting. I can't wait to share the result of the last nine months of hard work with all of you. But now on with this episode of the podcast. Since it's fall, baseball season is just about over. You know, I love baseball. And as a long-suffering Cleveland Indians fan, it means for me, right now, another year of oh-so-close, but not quite. This year, Cleveland did not clinch the American League Central Division as it had for the last couple of years, but battled hard, down to the wire, only to come up a game or two short to make it into the playoffs in a wildcard spot. But... As they say in baseball, there's always next year. You know, when April comes and the baseball season starts, it's another of the many reasons I rejoice in the return of spring. 
And of course, I love the new green, the warming temperatures, the daffodils, and the bulging buds of new leaves on the trees. But the return of baseball makes everything even more exciting. As Al Gallagher, a baseball player in the 1970s, said, There are three things in life which I really love. God, my family, and baseball. The only problem, once baseball season starts, is I change the order around a bit. Now, you know, baseball doesn't possess me like some people, but I do watch or listen to a game a few days a week, and I rarely miss a Cleveland Indians game. As a Cleveland fan, as anyone knows who may have followed baseball a little bit, gives the season a little extra edge, a little more drama, and invariably a lot of disappointment. But for me, watching baseball is meditative. When you're watching a baseball game, there's a lot of time to reflect. You know, the season itself is very long from April to October, and the games can be very long. In a good pitcher's duel, there can be a long time between an offensive play and the roar of the crowd. You can fall asleep watching a game in the fourth inning and wake up in the seventh without missing a hit or a score. Baseball gives you a lot of time to reflect and, well, just loaf, which most of us don't do nearly enough of. Bill Vett, a former Cleveland Indians owner and the one credited for integrating the American League when he signed Larry Doby in 1947, said of baseball that it is a game to be savored, not gulped. Like life, it's so much better when you're not thinking about getting somewhere or achieving something, but letting life itself lead you responding to things as they are, not as you planned them to be or would like them to be. One of the most important lessons I think baseball teaches is the spirituality of imperfection. You know, in the book by that same name, The Spirituality of Imperfection, Storytelling and the Search for Meaning by Ernest Kurtz and Catherine Ketchum, the authors write, quote, baseball alone in sport considers errors to be part of the game, part of its rigorous truth, unquote. Yeah, in baseball, errors are tallied and publicized and flashed on the screen for every team and every player. Errors are accepted as part of the game. Baseball expects mistakes from its players. And its most coveted accomplishment, the so-called perfect game, can only be achieved if the pitcher is perfect and if his teammates also play perfectly with no errors. You know, Jodo and Shin Buddhism teaches us that we are by nature bamboo or foolish beings. It is our nature to make mistakes. We are not perfect players. We make errors, but it's okay. That is who we are. And as David Brazier Sensei says, I'm not okay, 
and you're not okay, and that is perfectly okay. And you know, from this Shin Buddhist perspective or Pure Land Buddhist perspective, when we become aware of and acknowledge our own limits and our fundamental foolishness, it's then that we can realize a limitless flow of compassion for all other beings in the same spot. But thankfully, unlike in baseball, our errors aren't counted and published in the morning news every day. But there's more to baseball that models the Dharma very closely. And I'd like to share that in this rest of this podcast episode. I'll use the three marks of existence as the three bases in baseball. The three marks of existence uh, are what we as Buddhas try to come to a perfect understanding or acceptance of. The three marks are impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and the lack of a discrete self or a discrete I. These three marks characterize the interconnectedness, interdependence, impermanence, and change that we accept in the Dharma. So let's go around the bases. First base is a lack of a discrete self. As a team sport, baseball is not just about the pitcher. Even when the pitcher is throwing strikes, if the ball gets away from the catcher or the center fielder can't find the ball in the glare of the sun, there will be an error and the hitter will get a base or two. The interdependence of baseball is awesome and it sometimes seems nearly impossible that all the players and the contributing causes and conditions like the sun or the rain can come together positively to score runs or not score runs and to have a dominating offensive win or to rule defensively in a no-hitter or a one-hitter. No matter how much we try and wish to, it is unlikely that we can become a Buddha by ourselves alone. In fact, in truth, we cannot do much of anything by ourselves alone. Self-power only gets us so far. Other power is needed to round the bases and slide safely into home. So rounding from first into second, we'll look at second base. Second base is unsatisfactoriness. Baseball can break your heart. (laughs) And in a long season lasting from spring to fall with more than 160 regular season games, players and fans alike can go through many, many, many ups and downs. 11th inning walk-off home runs for a victory and crazy-making gut-wrenching losses. And as a Cleveland fan, I can testify that every spring, when the Indians charge to the lead in the Central Division, I'm dreaming of exciting postseason games and possibly a World Series. Then they hit a period where they lose eight games in a row, and I see, okay, this year is just going to be like last year, and I get disappointed, and I don't want to watch another game, but I do. I have hope. I keep going. 
And then there are those games that you are sure your team is going to win, going into the ninth inning, up four runs, and then the opposing team takes the game away from you with a last inning seven-run hitting display. But, as Tommy Lasorda said, quote, no matter how good you are, you're going to lose one-third of your games. No matter how bad you are, you're going to win one-third of your games. It's that other third that makes a difference, unquote. You know, life is like that. Some days you think that this day just couldn't get any better, and maybe, just maybe, you're in for a great week or a month or a great year. But just as quickly, in the next few days, something happens to remind you that life is not perfect and you just have to keep playing anyway. There will be days where everything will flow and days where nothing works. But we keep playing through the season. Now, on to third base. Third base is impermanence. Like a good pitcher, life is constantly changing. It throws you curveballs, sinkers, change-ups, sliders, fastballs. But we have one job to do, to keep hitting them until the right pitch comes. We keep fouling them off until we can get a hit. We keep trying. And if we get a hit, we have to commit to run the bases. If we strike out, we have another chance at bat. In the long season of baseball and life, we have to prepare to play through a lot of different weather. Snow at the beginning and end of the season, rain delays, rain outs, blinding sun where outfielders lose the ball, and 100 plus degree temperatures draining your energy. Weather disrupts our plans, brings trees down on our cars and houses, floods our houses, and can take our lives. But we keep playing through the changes nature throws at us. And sometimes you get traded, and you're no longer a Cleveland Indian, but a designated hitter for the New York Yankees. And in life, we rarely stay in the same job, with the same company, or live in the same house, the same city, or even the same state or country. We make the best of it, though. And we even thrive in the change. You know, sometimes we're on deck to bat, expectant to hit against the pitcher we've had great success against. And the opposing team's coach replaces that pitcher for a lefty-lefty matchup. And our current record against left-handed pitchers is abysmal. Sometimes we steal bases and get caught, retiring the side with three outs. And sometimes we get away with it. In our lives, we have all done or said things we shouldn't have and aren't proud of. And sometimes others are aware and call us on them. But sometimes only we know what we've done. And sometimes we are punished by a system, our parents or the legal system. Yet, caught, punished or not, we have faith in the transcendent order of life, of karmic action. Whatever we do, we know that our actions cause other actions, and we must be prepared to face the consequences of those actions. You know, the sports writer Paul Gallico wrote that, quote, no other game in the world is as tidy 
and dramatically neat as baseball with cause and effect, crime and punishment, unquote. And then back to Bill Veck again, he says that baseball is an orderly thing in a very unorderly world. If you get three strikes, even the best lawyer in the world can't get you off. So now we've covered three bases, but what's left is home plate. And home plate is this. No matter what life throws at us, the best we can do is to keep going. I grew up with three brothers and a father who loved baseball. I suspect it is what incited my love of the game. It stirs a deep emotional response of safety, comfort, contentment, and summer. The low-grade hum of baseball crowds on the radio or TV, the rhythm of the play-by-play and color announcers, punctuated by whistles and cheers, for me is like crickets on a warm summer night, or the soothing sound of a gentle rain, or the hum of a Buddhist chant. And while fingering my 108 bead mala, I think of what I learned about the baseball itself, that there are 108 stitches on a baseball. Did anyone know that? I'll close by echoing the words of the poet Sharon Olds when she says, quote, baseball is reassuring. It makes me feel as if the world is just not going to blow up, unquote. I think at these times in our life, that's exactly what we need, a way to feel like the world's not going to blow up. You know, sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. We take the world too seriously, and we take our spirituality too seriously. But sometimes the only way to invite our soul is to loaf, observe a blade of grass, or to play ball. My apologies to Walt Whitman for the adjusted reference. So today, go through your day remembering to be happy. Reach out, share, smile, hug. Make each day a holiday and celebrate just living. Or watch a baseball game. That's it for this episode. Thanks it. Thanks again, you guys, for all your support, your emails, your comments on my Facebook group. I'm still waiting through a bunch. I'm kind of late on a lot of them, but please keep them going. I love to hear from you. So please also consider supporting my work through an ongoing or one-time donation at the Donate tab on my website, www.everyday-buddhism.com. Or think about joining our Everyday Sangha. We'd love to have you join us every other week on Thursday evenings. You can find the details about joining the Sangha on the main page of my website, www.everyday-buddhism.com. Until next time, keep making your everydays better.